Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 64 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very, very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly, episode 64. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Yes, you highbrow hypnosis geeks and lovers of our field still need me. And inversely, we'll keep feeding you with wholesome hypnosis goodness. So once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a Beatles lyrics belter of a show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with this week's guest, Carl Smith. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured, offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media and also commenting on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Carl Smith. We'll be talking about his work using hypnotherapy with military personnel. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every single Hypnosis Weekly episode, This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, please do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the www.hypnosis-weekly.com website. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. So, first of all today is this week's interview. Though I was aware of Carl Smith, I did not actually meet him in real life until last year. Um, I got to politely small talk with him early on at the UK Hypnosis Convention. Then I got to watch his presentation and get to know him a bit better. And then I got drunk with him until the late hours thereafter. Though these were all very different encounters, one thing remained the same throughout all of them. And that was Carl's incredibly colourful language. No, I'm joking, though do be prepared for F-bombs getting dropped every few minutes in this week's edition. The thing that comes through without fail in whatever format you communicate with Carl is his obvious enthusiasm for all that he does. He really puts his heart into his work. Um, Add to that the fact that he has a very ready sense of humour, and you can understand why he's making such an impact in the hypnotherapy field. Um, I actually had to focus very heavily and and rejig myself following a belly laughter eruption when uh, Carl makes reference to Mike Mandel, as you'll hear shortly. Uh, what I was most taken by, as I think becomes obvious here, um, is Carl's backstory. You'll hear about a harrowing experience that he had, his own struggles thereafter to deal with it all, and him rising out of that thanks to hypnosis and thus going on to work within this field. Um, when I heard Carl explain this first time round, I really wanted to get him on the show, and that's what we've done. For now, Get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I am delighted to be joined today by the one and only Mr. Carl Smith. Carl, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Um, Hello there, Adam. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm also, I'm all the better for having you on the show. Now, let's let's learn a little bit about you. For people that are not aware of you or, or, or don't know anything about you, tell us tell us a bit about your background. Um, um, how did you get into this field, and how have you arrived at, at where you are now? Okay, so um, 
from a young age, I, I joined the military. Um, I spent 12 years in the British Army. I went to to all the places that your your local um, holiday rep won't send you to. I've been to all the sandy places. I've done the Bosnias. I've done the Kosovo's. I've done the Northern Islands. Um, so I had a fair few um, jollies around the world, uh, seeing things that were, were unpleasant and pleasant at the same time. So I spent 12 years uh, in, the, in the Army doing that. Um, and then I left the Army. Um, I had one day off. I left the army on a Friday and joined the police um, on a Sunday. Um, it was all that was all planned while I was in Iraq. Funny enough, the, the, the whole interview process. So I left on a Friday. So if you can imagine that on a Monday I was in Iraq uh, in Umm Qasr, and then the following Monday I was stood on a parade square in the police, which was quite an <laughs> odd moment in life. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then I joined the police and I spent a further twelve years in the police. Um, I was lucky enough to go onto firearms and work on counter-terrorism teams. And then um, I progressed to become a firearms trainer within the police. So I used to teach people how to shoot guns and do weird and wonderful things. Um, and while I was serving in the police, I just um, the, reason that, the reason that I got into hypnosis and hypnotherapy and change work is because uh, in 2006, on August 4, 2006, while sat at home, um, a young fellow who had been at a funeral all day uh, consuming copious amounts of ale um, and um, from his statement drugs as well decided to drive his um, get into his auntie's car who had who'd, who'd passed away and whose funeral he'd been at he decided to jump into her car take it for a little spin and park it straight into our house uh, <laughs> which which is an unusual story yes yeah he, he parked it in our house and um the, the long the long story is is that I went out to um, I thought initially I really did think initially that I was helping somebody that was elderly that had lost control of a car and there was lots of things going on in my head because obviously the children within the house and, and so my partner was at the time yeah so lots and lots of things were going on and mil my military and policing training kicked in and went over to help young fellow out of the car and it turned out that he I noticed he was drunk already so. I did an amazing thing. I thought that my 14 stone of body weight by wrapping my hand around the seatbelt would uh, would stop the car from reversing backwards. Um, but, you know, engineering and physics will tell you that 14 yes. stones, one, one ton will not work. No. Um, I don't know why I did to this day. I still don't know why I wrapped my hand around the seatbelt. But I wrapped it around it and uh, I, I then helped try to help him get out of the car with my my other hand if, if um by by clattering it let's just say i was hitting him a few times but unfortunately the brick wall collapsed um i got caught underneath the vehicle was dragged 80 yards roughly 80 yards they think it was 80 yards because they found some of my clothes up at the other end and then um when he realized he was in a cul-de-sac he then put it into first and then and then drove down the road and hit me again then then took me back home that was the only d common decent thing that he did that night <laughs> took me back home so um I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm laughing I'm laughing but the no, reality no. of it is horrific yeah and well I came out of it long story short I came out of it with um some some pretty horrific injuries um yeah. my foot was around the wrong way all the bones in my foot, foot broke my tibia fibia gone on the radiuses on both arms um my shoulder blades fractured, fractured cheekbone, fractured minor fracture to the skull. Nothing too, too significant. Mind you, a lot of people would say that anyway. You know, there's some of the damage going on in there. <laughs> but the, um, but no, um, obviously I, I was a bit of a mess. So yeah. uh, I, um, you know, I spent a bit of time in hospital. I came to terms with things. Uh, I was put on lots of lovely little drugs, as we know them, as tramadol, progabalins, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and after a while, uh, what happened is is that the my physical body was mended. However, my mental mind, my mental, my brain was not was misfiring. To which uh, we now know it was um, well diagnosed as what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. So um, that's that's the short part of that. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, we did that. We came out the back end of it. And once my physical body had started fixing, all the bones had fixed and all that, and the tendons were on the right ways and things, uh, we started to notice that my aggression levels, my um, my anger levels, everything was really misfiring. Everything was was completely alien to me. Um, you know, I was getting angry at my little one, which well, I've never raised my hands to my children, but I, you know, it was, it was getting to the point where I was, and it was not, it was it was a terrible situation. So I found that the only way to manage the naughty 
noise, and I'm sure listeners will understand that, you know, when we see clients and people nowadays, and we all have internal dialogue, but my naughty noise, my naughty chimp had gone into overdrive. Yeah. Um, everything was everything was dangerous. Everything that I had was, you know, if I was walking down the road, I was going through T-shirts and jumpers on my left side because I wanted to keep away from the road. Uh, all, you know, all the senses had fired off. And it became horrendous. And the only way that I found that I could actually deal with it, the only way that I found I could deal with it, was by using Tramadol, Pregabalin, and Jack Daniels. That's right. the yeah, you know, yeah. And Mr. Jack, Mr. Jack had, had come to my, my saviour as well. By and I, and, I, and, I, and I hope people, you know, understand why. But I got to the stage where I was crushing up Tramadol and Pregabalin and putting it in the Jack Daniels. Right. That's yeah. that was my life. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, a, a colleague of mine. Um, a lot of people had noticed um, that, you know, even when I'd gone back to work, let's say we're 18 months down the line, um, people had noticed that I had a significant change in me. And, I'm, you know, people know me on the circuit now, happy-go-lucky, have a laugh, joke and all that lot. But that, that Carl had disappeared, and my work colleagues had noticed that. So um, a colleague spoke to another colleague, and he was a hypnotist. And he came along and went, ah, how would you like to try this? And I went, I was going to swear then, but I'm cautious. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, the only the only um, um, experience I'd had with a hypnotist until 2006 was watching um, Ken Webster in Great Yarmouth. I'm a Great Yarmouth lad from Norfolk. Yeah. And um, I'd only been watching Ken Webster, and as a young pup watching him, I was thinking, do I really want to shit a square brick? And do I, you know, do I really want to dance around and doing the, you know, the usual things that our stage hypnosis colleagues, friends do? Um, and that was the only idea that I had. And it wasn't until he did a single session on me that actually um, during this session, it lasted for about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And when I opened my eyes after that initial, you know, the ritualistic induction and the the, the, the uh, suggestions that had gone in, it was actually I opened my eyes up and it was probably 18 months after, 19 months after the accident. And I opened my eyes and I'll tell you, I'll tell you now, Adam, I cried nonstop for nine hours non-stop I cried and while I was crying I was laughing it was the most it was the funniest weirdest surreal thing that I could ever explain to people and there's some people that may listen to this that were actually there and present at the time I was actually crying my eyes out but giggling at the same time it was the weirdest weirdest ab reaction type scenario that I'd ever been through but believe it or not um uh, the next morning I woke up and I, it was probably the first night that I'd ever had in many, many moons since the accident where I'd slept all the way through or at least got the way through without, you know, just the odd wake, you know, the odd nudge and that. But I went back to sleep. I was I was in a, a pattern of waking up, getting up at three o'clock in the morning and having a coffee previous to that. But now I was in a situation where um, I'd actually gone all the way through. And then progressively over the next few weeks, it got better. It really did get better. And and it just went from there, really. And, you know, there's a good 12, 15 minutes of me yantering on there. But but that is my story. And that's why yeah. I love this trade, because I went from a situation of happy-go-lucky to absolute misery, where it was destroying everything in my life. And a hypnotist came along, sprinkled some magic dust, some fairy dust, whatever we want to call it this week, and... And, you know, now I've had the privilege to now teach in, what, eight, nine different countries, um, talk in different countries. And it's been it's been an amazing journey. And for those people listening that have ever been through anything, the, the worst day of my life actually was the best day of my life, which yeah. sounds really weird. But yeah. it was because, you know, I wouldn't have the, the pleasure of meeting great people like yourself and, and the other great trainers out there on the circuit as well. And uh, but no, it's been an amazing journey. It's been a great journey and it's still going now. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate your candor, and I really appreciate the story. Um, as I, as I mentioned in in your introduction, you know, when I when I saw you speak um, last year, the, the the story, you know, I, I had no idea of your backstory, and I was I was really taken by it. Um, um and and um, it's it's wonderful that you. you you know, having had that experience, that you are now um, um, as prominent as you are in this field. So um, let's let's just turn our head a little bit then to to hypnosis. Tell me a little bit. Where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? How do you how do you define it if you do? Um, and, and how did you arrive at that? And 
or how do you explain hypnosis to to your clients or others? I mean, I know, for example, you work with a lot of people in the military. And I remember you saying earlier on, you know, I remember when someone said to me, um, um, have you tried hypnosis? And, and your reference was was just a Ken Webster reference that you thought, you know, this 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 was nonsensical. And I'm guessing that that, that within the military, it's it's even more of a, a potential challenge. I don't know if I'm being stereotypical here, but yeah. it's, it's more of a potential challenge even to explain hypnosis to 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 hardened military people. Yeah, and it's it's interesting actually because. Um, when I am doing my explanations, it's the same old thing, Adam. It's is that I don't sit there and give a full explanation about the, the neuro, neuroscience and the, the parts of the, the brain that we may be firing off and, and, and what could be happening chemically within the body. I don't really give that discussion because they just cut. People know that, that I can make change and I can make it fairly rapidly with a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. And, and I think with my military background, and obviously for those people who know as well, um, I used to help run a police charity. Um, um, it was basically um, for firearms officers in the UK that were involved in police shootings. So I've been involved in every, nigh on every police shootings. Right, yeah. It's 10 years, really, and I won't go into details about it, but long story short is I was the peer, peer support officer for those for those officers and their families. Right, wow. And, and the reason that, that I got involved in that and the reason that I was able to do it is because of my background. People genuinely can't believe that I spent 12 years in the army 12 years on a roughly tufty counterterrorism unit and then became a hypnotherapist. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that, what the, f what the f just happened then? Just, you know, people yeah. just, people, and that's what resonates with those people in uniform. They, they, when, when you, when you're in a mili military or in a uniform for those people that are listening to this that have served or are serving, those, those people there that know that if you was to go into the brew room, into the canteen, into the naffy, into the wherever you are at that present moment in time and said, I'm going to go see a hypnotherapist. There is this horrid, horrid, <laughs> used to be, and I still I still believe there is as well, this horrid stigma still attached to it, that you were weak, you were pathetic, you were useless. And, you know, and there, there's an old saying, and for some people out there that they'll, they'll know what I mean by this, it used to be uh, in, in Germany, if you went to see a therapist or a counsellor, you was classed as somebody that used to stuff teddy bears or make wicker baskets. <laughs> you know, so, you know... It, case of we're, we're such and such oh he's gone away stuffing teddy bears this weekend he's you know he's fucked and oh, i've done it now haven't i it's your fault adam <laughs> that's all right that, that's right that's right i'm gonna put i'm gonna put an adult warning um, um <laughs> on this podcast when it goes out um, um, and, and you know but I, I always knew that was going to be the case as soon as um as soon as i was asking you to come and come and do it do an episode yeah, that, oh well, my apologies, to those people. Anyway, but the, the the long story short is is, is yes, people would it, the stigma for this roughy tofty world that we were in. The you know you don't show your emotions. The old stiff upper lip, Victorian, just get the get on with it type scenario mm. would be would be there. And I remember years ago when I came back from Kosovo. For those people who remember in 1999, and I know a few people will be listening that served with me out there as well. And we when we went down the Kachanik D file uh, into Kosovo in 99. You know, some of the things that went on there were unbelievable. You know, you was looking at whips and things and getting stuck in a minefield, which is quite interesting. Um, you know, those types of things there, they do play havoc on you. Yes. But when you come out and you try to tell somebody, it's it, it, especially in 99, 2000, it was still, just get on with it. You know, what you fucking just get on with it. It's a can of lager, get on with it. Yeah. And and I know there are some great people out there at present moment in time that are working with the military that are changing that. And, you know, it's a great thing to know. But during my time, it was, here's a can of lager, shut up, just get on with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and you didn't want to have that stigma of going to that place in Wegberg in Germany, where I was based in Germany, so that was the place there. But, you know, you didn't want to have that stigma of stuffing teddy bears and wicker baskets. So that, that's that's the whole reason. So mm. you dealt with it yourself and compressed yeah. it yourself. Yeah. Um, and so my approach now, and, and obviously the way that I, I use social media is to tell people I'm very direct, um, I'm very much in your face, and that's what attracts those people to me. And, and you know, yeah. my books fill up with people that are from uniform backgrounds because of that approach, because they yeah. want it here, want it now, they want McDonald's therapy, for want of a better word. And I suppose, I, you know, I, I'm guessing, um, I don't know for sure, because, you know, it's, it's an area that, 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 that I have no knowledge or experience of, really. I'm guessing that, that people within those fields find it easier to work with and thus relate to someone that has a background such as such as they have had. Yeah, I don't want to sit here and stereotype all military and emergency services, but 
Um, you could probably guess that a lot of F words are used in my therapy sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's the way they that's the way they operate. It's their language, and some people may find that offensive and say, "Oh dear, no, no, wouldn't do that. That's disgusting. Oh, completely unethical." But that's the environment. So when we are talking about a military situation or a combat situation that they've been in, or that um, let's say that they're in the police and they've got and most police officers will know this. They've always got a wanker boss. And that is the thing, you know. So when I'm talking like that, they appreciate that. I'm talking their language. Yeah. They know that I'm somebody that's that's um, been in a situation like that. And, and I understand the process. And I understand the bureaucracy uh, that goes with it as well. So yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I can. I, that's the way I operate in my sessions. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit, Carl. Um, um, when, when you made the switch, when you started moving into this field, um, um, t- tell me about um, over the years since you've been working within this field, who, who are some of the, your major influences? Um, perhaps some of the books or some of the authors that have influenced you or taught you the most, some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you and perhaps give us an idea of some of the reasons why? Um, well, for most people who, kn- who knew me when I first started out, I started working with Jonathan Chase. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I was in the pop in the industry, I started working with John. And, and John taught me an immense amount. He really did. You know, he got he got me onto the circuit. He was the one that, that I went away and I had the privilege of going to, to Las Vegas with him to HypnoThoughts. Um, so John got me off. And then, then that's on that, meeting people at like HypnoThoughts in Las Vegas. I, I got to meet people like Melissa. Melissa Tears, yeah. Melissa, absolute immense trainer and great personal round. Even though I wear pink, and she thought that I, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's a different story yeah, for I've Melissa. Heard that story. Yeah, Melissa thought I, I was, I was, you know, wasn't as straight as what I thought. Anyway, but <laughs> the, the long story short is Melissa's uh, uh, been a been a massive influence. Um, David Schneider, for those those people who haven't, David is is a very direct. Um, trainer um, in America. He was very influential in my work. And also as well, um, Larry Larry Elman, Dave Elman's son. Um, I was lucky enough to become one of the uh, trainers for the Dave Elman Institute. And Larry and Cheryl have been immense, actually. And, and Larry's knowledge, Jesus, I mean, you know, it just, just doing things, you know, simple things and, and just working with him has been great. Um, modern you know, looking at people in and around me at the present moment in time, um, Mike Mandel. Mike Mandel has been absolutely inspiring to me. And some of the things that I watch him do, the things that I've seen him do, the way that he acts, conducts himself, is probably, and he doesn't know this, so if Mike's listening to this, don't sit there and rub yourself on your... <laughs> the thing is, is that but Mike and Chris, uh, Chris Thompson, uh, Mike Mandel's, They've been immense, and they are really, really good people. And the way they conduct themselves, the way that they do all of their work, um, the way that they do their lessons, it's it's great for the industry. It really is. And, um, y- you know, there's this great trainers all over the place. They're, I could name so many. It's unbelievable that I've had the privilege of working with. Yeah. There, there, there are a few people that pop straight to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some, some great people there. Um, um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to have a bunch of. Well, 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 all but one of those uh, have, have featured here on this podcast before, and I've and, and I've had great fun with all of them. Um, yeah. um, Carl, you, you know, like I said, I, I've kind of laboured this, but you know, I was so impressed with the with, with the story um, and your backstory, um, which which I think is a really impressive application of hypnosis. Um, um, can can you give me perhaps a, a, another or some other of of the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed? Well. I mean, post-trauma, I mean, that's the area that I like working in, um, you know, post-traumatic stress. That's that's the area I like working in. Pain management's another one as well. I mean, I even shocked myself the other day. We, we I videoed it. It's on my YouTube channel. We videoed it the other day, an eight-hour tattoo, completely pain-free. You know, it's, it's simple like that. And, and for those people that were on my course uh, in York, actually adjusting eyesight and hearing. Now, some viewers, some people, listeners may not think, oh, so, but there, there was 40 people in that room and we were able to adjust somebody's hearing. Um, and the impressive thing about that is, is this is genuine and those people that listen that know the story. Then I, I adjusted his hearing and turned it up and made it more refined, more acute than what it was because he said it was partially deaf. 
the next morning he came in and asked me to turn it down. And I looked at him surprised. <laughs> what, what do you, why, why would you want me to fucking do that? And he went, I've been arguing with the missus, mate. He said, <laughs> she was shouting at me all night. And I just looked at him and it was the most shocking thing. And I just went, Jesus Christ, I never realized that I've probably gone too far with this. You know, you know, ethically, I've done everything right. It's just in case if I didn't realize that I'd tweaked it that hard that, you know, that much that actually his, he actually thought his wife was shouting at him all night. <laughs> so a miserable time in York that evening. So, that, you know, I, and I think some of the applications that, you know, that you can use it for and that I've witnessed and people have seen me do and, and I've watched other people do pain management is one of the, uh, you know, looking at is one of the most impressive things, I think, by, by able to, to carry out an eight hour tattoo and that person not being able to feel, feel a thing yeah, is thing as well to watch personally. Uh, yeah. I always sit there and review what I'm doing and, and watch what I'm doing as well to see, see how I can benefit or, you know, change things in future. But yeah, you know, simple things like that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Carl, it, if you could go back to when you started out in this field, when you started out as a hypnotherapist, a hypnosis professional, knowing knowing what you know now, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, if so, what? Um, and, and what advice would the person you are today give the younger you? And is there advice that you'd uh, extend to to hypnotherapists uh, that, are, that tune into the show? Mm. I think the key thing for me is, is I when I'm always training, when I'm always teaching people, I always go back to the Carl that was sat there in a bath. Don't have that image. Sat there <laughs> in a bath, right, with with a book, tr with my hand on the side of it, trying to stick my own hand to the side of the bath because we were not – the training – I'm not going to mention the training course, but however, the, the course that I was on was a very elongated course with limited practical um, elements in it. And as we do hypnosis, hypnotherapy is a very practical sport. Yeah. So that young Carl used to sit there going, oh, I can't get this. I just can't get this. And if my advice would be to anybody, it's perseverance. It's about having belief in yourself of knowing that one day when it happens, it's going to be like a packet of Pringles, that it's going to go in and you're going to realize. And once you've got it, you just keep going. It's practice, practice, practice. Yeah. You know, I remember sitting there and, and my first ever person I hypnotized looking at them. And I've, I might explain this to my students as well. It's that meerkat moment, that bit where your head keeps popping up and going, <laughs> Jesus Christ, are they, are, they, are, they, are they fucking, are they in? Are they in? I, I don't, uh, uh, what do I do next? Yeah. And it's about having that self-belief, knowing that if you've done it and, you've, and when you do it, um, just watch what went on, review what you did, and also just keep that confidence there and, and build on that confidence, you know, even if you have a bad day and somebody turns up who just will not go into hypnosis, will not go into that, let's say, that ritualistic eye slumped, you know, that, that, that phase there, because we know hypnosis is not a state of eyelids. But if we don't get that ritualistic, um, you know, slumped over ritual done properly, then keep going with it. Just keep reviewing what you're doing and, and just maintain it. And oh, the biggest thing that I would say as well is – Look outside of the UK or the country that you're in because that's all I ever do. I'm always looking at other trainers from around the world, different ideas, different concepts. And that's a main key thing to me because the UK market, I'm not going to go too much of a thing here, can be, it is stagnant in some places. Um, you yeah, know, I would agree with you. It's, it's not moved forward. It hasn't come forward with times or science or, or the way we do it. And we're still, you know, seeing people that are holding on to scripts. Genuinely, I still see people that are holding on to scripts 12 months after they've come out of training because they know the ways. And that is the most disappointing thing. Um, so another key point that I'd say is, is is to learn other deep, deep people's methods. And as soon as you've finished your fundamental course, whether they're finished with myself, Adam, or they're finished with you, they're finished with Anthony, uh, Jacqueline, they're finished with anybody like us, they go find another trainer, another another modality to go learn straight away they're continuously learning 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, ongoing stimulus and and you know, I, for, for me, the, I tend to find that the people that are most successful and the people that are most effective therapists in particular are typically the ones that have done a broad range of good quality training and 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 and, and are erudite. And, and by erudite, I don't don't just mean well read. You know, I'm not yeah. expecting people just just to get geek on it. Um, yeah. um, um but you, you, you know, people that have a broad range of 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 knowledge and and practical skills to draw upon. Um, now then, Carl, um, where can people go to learn more about your work and your approach to hypnosis? If um, people want to come find me, they can look me up um, because I'm shy on on uh, social media. Adam. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I get that about you. I'm really shy on social media. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to find me, if they type in UK Hypnosis Academy, they can find me that way. And, um, you know, there's plenty of stuff on my YouTube channel. Um, there's plenty of step-by-step guides and things like that that people can come watch and learn step-by-step with me. Some people may love my approach. Some people, I'm Marmite, mate. <laughs> people love it or they'll hate it. One um, of the two. Um, um, uh, there's, there's also, I know you put a lot of free resources out on YouTube. So I will put, um, I'll make sure that there's a link to your YouTube channel, your Facebook page um, on this episode's um, page. Um, um, so anybody listening, um, um, you want to go and uh, uh, explore more of... Um, uh, more of Carl's approach, um, watch some of his videos, go and watch his shy and retiring approach to social media, then um, yeah. um, um, there'll be links to all of that on this particular episode's page. Um, Carl, thank you ever so much for, for, for this first part of today. Um, we will be back with Carl Smith in just a few minutes' time. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I appreciate Carl's candor greatly, and there'll be more from him in a short while. On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. As I've sometimes tended to do here on the show, every once in a while is to discuss topics surrounding the portrayal of hypnosis in the media, rather than just making references to particular stories that are featured. Today is another such day. And I want to talk about why science by press release in the hypnotherapy and hypnosis fields frustrates me. Um, At the end of last year, outside of the main body of my keynote presentation at the UK Hypnosis Convention, I spoke about a topic briefly that's something I've mentioned um, often to fellow professionals since. And this is this topic of science by press release. Um, In this Hypnosis Weekly podcast, you regular listeners will know I have this hypnosis in the media section, whereby I refer to the way hypnosis gets portrayed in the media and discuss whether it's enhancing or holding back the field of hypnotherapy as it seeks more credibility and understanding. And what I'm talking about here today is made all the more pertinent by the current popular discussions and debates about fake news in our media and people's seeming lack of critical thinking skills required to fully understand and examine what they're presented with in the media before they just agree with it and share it. You know, hypnotherapists in particular ought to know better than just to share stuff before they've properly researched it. Let me contextualise this a little bit before I focus upon the field of hypnotherapy. In the mid-2000s, journalists were earnestly reporting the news that pig's bladder extract had been used by scientists in a major breakthrough, allowing one man to seemingly magically regrow a finger. And this is a true story. Um, Pixie dust helps man grow new finger, stated the Telegraph's headline. The amazing pixie dust made from pig's bladder that regrew a severed finger in four weeks, said the Daily Mail. Pixie dust from pig's bladder regrows man's finger, said Fox News. Heck, it's Fox News though. It is thought that dust kickstarts the body's natural healing process by sending signals that mobilise the body's own cells in repairing the damaged tissue, they explained at Fox News. So the patient was Lee Spivak, and he was given the powder by Acel, a large and long-standing biotech firm founded by Alan Spivak. He is Lee Spivak's big brother. Now, Dr. Badalak is Acel's chief scientific advisor, and he conducted the research and the TV interviews that made headlines in the US and around the globe with this scientific breakthrough. The day after the press Association and BBC put out this story. It appeared on Fox News and later that day it hit ABC Australia, being broadcast just about everywhere in between along the way. All used the quotes and different permutations and that's how news works. 
Now, closer scrutiny of this particular story found it to be largely flawed. Uh, there were conflicting accounts from the researchers of the pilot study about how much finger actually grew back. The pictures available were inconclusive. The pixie dust formula had not been able to replicate the results from this isolated case. Yet for a while, this breakthrough had landed. People believed it and the story was covered as if it uh, were scientific consensus. And this was science by press release. So I want to draw some parallels to something in our own hypnotherapy field, because last year, Dr. David Spiegel, in his endless crusade to demonstrate that hypnosis is a unique brain pattern, demonstrated as much according to his study. Ooh! Here are some of the more popular news snippets sharing his findings. One headline, study identifies brain areas altered during hypnotic trances. Two, in patients under hypnosis, scientists find distinctive patterns in the brain. Three, is hypnosis all in your head? Brain scans suggest otherwise. I've given links to all those stories um, um, within this episode's uh, page on the Hypnosis Weekly website. So it seemed like the entire field of hypnotherapy shared the media's reports of this study. Twitter and Facebook feeds were filled with this, stories, with this story within hypnotherapy circles. Hypnotherapists were sharing it and telling people about it and discussing this impressive finding. Media outlets were picking it up too and sharing snippets that made for interesting news. Yet how many of those who were sharing the media's representation of this study actually read the research report, actually read the paper, the study, or read any critical appraisal of the study, or read any of the journal's peer review board's comments about the study? Virtually none. Because if they had, they would see that some authors, academics and researchers disputed and questioned the findings of the study. Some might think that this was science by press release, just like the pixie dust finger regeneration powder. Many of the central premises behind the study were brought into question. The way suggestion was used, the way so-called neutral hypnosis was even elicited. This featured in the journal Cerebral Cortex, whose peer review board have very few hypnosis academics or researchers and Spiegel's very conceptualization of what hypnosis actually is has been questioned and critiqued throughout the years. All those who blindly shared the story, in my opinion, would benefit massively from knowing about the debate, the discussion that the study stimulated, much more so than simply the media headlines. I'm not taking a side in particular here. I greatly admire David Spiegel and the contributions that he's made to attempting to understand the subject of hypnosis and the ensuing debate that his work creates, illuminates, you know, so much. Perhaps I should just adopt the stance of all publicity is good publicity when the media pick up these stories as we get more exposure. Yet I find the lack of critical appraisal and seeming lack of desire to understand more than the headlines from the majority of frontline hypnotherapists really frustrating. One of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to speak to some very wonderful hypnosis professionals from all over the world. And you know how I open this podcast up each week, you know, something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field, that I don't share the same stance as most of our guests and so on. Now, within the field of hypnosis, I've tended to find over the years, many people get hostile towards dissenting or different perspectives to their own. So I wanted to demonstrate that even when I disagree wholly with fellow hypnotherapist perspective or professional stance, we can still discuss it on this podcast. We can still debate it professionally and courteously, sticking to the argument, the topic, and not veering toward insult or making personal remarks and ensuring that we're free from the use of logical fallacy uh, to make the points that we support. So a major ethos of my own training college is that we all learn both sides to any debate, discussion, philosophy, and we'd be aware of those sides before we have that debate. When you examine both sides of a discussion or a debate, uh, you aim to be fully informed. I find it frustrating when someone remonstrates with a point I may make because it goes against what they believe in rather than adhering to facts. Often in the field of hypnotherapy, what they believe in is all that they have been taught. 
They are invested financially, psychologically and emotionally in what they were taught and are therefore less inclined to apply neutral, objective, critical thinking to their own biases and beliefs. They become entrenched in dogma. They defend their stance without knowing opposing views or perspectives and certainly do not know what the evidence would suggest. I said a while back, you know, one of our podcast guests, Jason Lynette from the US, when I asked him about his professional influences, he quoted a professional colleague who once told him to learn from people who disagree with each other. And I think it's wise to, to, you know, it's a wise move to learn from people who disagree, especially so in the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Um, you know, my, my keynote presentation at the UK Hypnosis Convention um, um, was about prominent figures from the history of hypnosis uh, who feuded. And the point I wanted to make, and that I'm making here again, is that rather than digging our heels in and blindly defending one singular stance, we must learn both sides of a discussion, understand the full depth of the argument, and allow ourselves to be enlightened on occasion. Regarding any hot topic in our field, whether you agree with either side or neither side, are you open-minded enough to see both sides? I assume that most of you are thinking yes in reply to this question. And if most people re- you know, th- that are listening to this are thinking yes, then if you are representative of the field of professional hypnotherapists, you know, th- they're probably thinking yes too to that kind of question. If that is so, then why is it that so many schools, colleges and teaching establishment in the hypnotherapy field are so goddamn dogmatic about what they teach? Psychoanalytic schools or proponents of regression um, 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 within hypnotherapy very rarely teach their students issues surrounding duty of care, informed consent, the reconstructive nature of memory, risks of re-traumatization and so on. NLP training schools regularly point out scientifically proven flaws in eye accessing cues or the validity of using representational systems. Why do those that teach hypnosis as being some kind of altered state rarely ever illustrate the more evidence-based non-state models of hypnosis, you know, the opposing perspective, and teach that too? Conversational and indirect hypnosis trainings often state that what they do is much better than direct or authoritative styled hypnosis, yet they offer no evidence to show us how or why, because there is virtually no evidence to suggest that. There's certainly nothing to support that. It might be a lovely, subtle and elegant way to communicate, but the efficacy as far as therapeutic gain is concerned is no higher than those using just direct methods. The subconscious mind. Why do schools and educators teach that the existence of a subconscious mind is a fact? Why do they not teach the case for it, but then also explain that no single academic supports this and there is no scientific evidence to demonstrate its existence? So when teaching these subjects, you know, why not highlight the limitations of that which you teach too? Isn't that progress? Isn't that how we develop? And we enhance this field to build upon what we know, to challenge and improve what we do, to have a rounded, fully open-minded understanding of the entire subject and not feel the need to dig our heels in and defend one small aspect of it by suggesting it's better than everything else, regardless of any evidence to the contrary. Is it because those that teach hypnotherapy do not know the other side of these things is it because they're scared of being challenged and being seen to be left wanting so they just know no better were taught that way themselves and therefore espouse the way that they were taught as being the right way like it's the law i mean you know what if you trained 10 years ago and have not kept abreast of developments not done any relevant cpd well still what if your cpd is being conducted by people who know no better who just offer up a single dogmatic approach I think it's important, especially for hypnotherapists, to be able to see, at the very least see, and ideally fully understand both sides to a philosophy, a debate, a theory, and so on. And this is what shows open-mindedness. It shows intelligence. It shows that you know your subject and your field. The field of hypnotherapy, as with many, many other fields, has a proliferation this kind of phenomena. Many people that attend conferences, trainings, conventions, CPD courses are just looking to confirm what they already know rather than learn. Likewise, headlines get shared without the true extent of what's being shared. And I think this is lazy. It holds us back. 
So I urge everybody tuning in to this week's uh, Hypnosis Weekly episode that's listening to me foaming at the mouth about this subject. You know, go question all that you do, all that you teach. I urge you to question what you believe and what you what your biases are at a hypnotherapist. Don't just fight and bicker on forums. Instead, develop a deeper sense of delving into this subject matter. And we'll be able to move this glorious field of ours away from the fringes where it exists currently. Charles Darwin said, It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. So come on, fellow hypnosis professionals, let's be adaptable to change. Let's think critically. Let's benefit from the disagreement, create a culture within our field that moves it forward. And maybe this will result in hypnotherapists looking further into the research that makes its way into media stories that they share so readily. Uh, Regrown fingers crossed, eh? Links to uh, all all the references that that I made that I talked about here are listed on the page, uh, this page of this week's podcast episode on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Now, next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. Um, I welcome back Carl Smith. As you would have heard with Carl's uh, backstory, he was in the military and served as a firearms police officer as well thereafter. Um, and now today, as a hypnotherapist and trainer, he, he works with a lot of military personnel. And I was keen to explore this with Carl, um, especially as, I, as I'd seen his presentation on this subject um, some time ago. And I really wanted to just, just ask him the reasons behind this direction, the way that he works, if he has to adapt what he does for these clients, and the kinds of issues and challenges that he faces, some of which I think you're going to be surprised at. Using hypnotherapy with military personnel. That's what we discuss here. Here is this week's professional discussion with Carl Smith. Enjoy. So I'm joined once again by Carl Smith and um, we're going to talk a little bit about using hypnotherapy and working with the military. Um, Carl, welcome back. First of all, could you just give us a little bit of an idea about, about your rationale, how it is that you, that, that you ended up working um, 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 so, so prolifically as you do with, with military personnel? You know, was, it, was it just a natural progression to, to work with people that had a similar background to you? Was it because doors were open? Was it because you, you knew a bit about it and you felt there was a need? Um, just, just tell us a little bit about, about the reasoning and the, uh, that you went in that direction a little bit. Yeah, of course. The, when in 2006 we got run over, the, the police force that I was in at the time, don't get me wrong, the boys and girls on the ground that, that, that may listen to this, they were absolutely immense. The organisation and the organisations of any military, police, fire, ambo, ambulance, sorry, or anything like that, that, that they have to tick boxes. They have to show that they did something, that they wanted to do something. But actually, they don't give a flying sh- – they don't give a flying fuck. They don't. They really genuinely don't. Um, you know, some of the managers, some of the people that work on the ground with people, they genuinely do care. But at a high management level, they don't care. It's a statistics thing. And what happened with me – is that when I had my car accident and I was finding myself on a weekly basis just digging a further hole for myself, as you would do consuming the amount of alcohol, brigabalin and tramadol and God knows what else I could fire into the system, um, they offered me a counselling service. Now, bearing in mind that I live in the furthest point east in the country, uh, over by Lowestoft, Great Yarmouth, way in the UK, um, they offered me a counsellor that was over by Swindon. Now, this counselling... I'm not a fan of anyway, yeah. my, my apologies. But anyway, the, the, the counsellor phoned me up once a week. And it was probably the most bar- barbaric, horrendous thing that I'd ever been through. And I'll tell you for why. It's because the person that was on the end, just I didn't have that, that feeling that they gave a shit. They really didn't. And to be quite honest... They would ask me silly questions like, so how do you feel about going under the tire of a car? Well, obviously, your listeners can probably gather that I've got a couple of F words that could get fired into that statement there. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you could probably appreciate that it's not fun being underneath a car. It's not fun coming back on the return journey underneath a car either. So I felt that this 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 distance that, you know, on a telephone talking to a counsellor plus 
what the the final straw for me was is that because I couldn't see what he was up to, um, I I could hear some tapping on a keyboard one day. And I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Oh, nothing." And at that point, that's where my PTSD really kicked in. It was right, the yeah. everything fired up. And I said, "What are you doing?" And he went, "I'm not doing anything." I said, "Yes, you are. You're doing something." And it and literally, he went, "Well, I was just typing some notes out." I said, "So you weren't given a fine shit what was going on with me then, were you?" He wasn't fully present with you. No, all he, all it was was just, uh, you know, you didn't have that human bond. It was just him on the end of the phone. So I became really, really angry. And then when I started to, to feel better, that's when the opportunity came up for me to go um, support a police charity. Uh, and for those people that are interested, and it's a very, I'm not, in, I'm not involved in it anymore due to the fact of my own private life's taken over. But anyone who's interested, it's called the Police Firearms Officers Association, the PFOA, a charity close to my heart. It's like help the heroes for firearms officers, and I'm not yeah. interested in people's views or the Daily Mail's views on police shootings within the United Kingdom because I'll tell you now that if you read it or watch it on the news, it's bullshit. It's not the real story, especially in the United Kingdom. I'm only speaking for UK uh, police shootings here. Yeah. And it's basically to help the heroes, one of a better way of explaining it, for firearms officers and their families that are involved in day-to-day incidents or, or stuff. Yeah. And that there was where I had an avenue to give back. That was where it started. This is where my life, this is where my journey really, really started. Yes, I had tools, but this is a, an area where I could go in and I could help people that were in a unique position and in a unique job because these people were living in anonymity. I mean, you know, they can't even go to the doctors and tell them what they've been up to for crying out loud. You know, that's how, you know, so they're pressure cookers. And it, it was somebody like me, well, it would have been me, that went round to their houses initially and spoke to their families and their friends. So yeah. that there in itself was the was the avenue where I was able to repay um, and and then build myself around the military and emergency services personnel and build the the, the way that I deliver deliver things and, and do things yeah yeah um you know th- th- this is fascinating for me I, I, can, can you give us an idea of of you know typically within within your work and within your one-to-one work um um with with people with, with the military and with with the, the forces um um, the kind of that the kind of issues that you're working with, and the kind of issues that that, that typically you work with. Yeah. Predominantly, I I get a lot of people with severe anxieties or post trauma. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people come to me with with severe anxieties and post trauma. It's not necessarily all military and emergency services. I just seem to have built this bubble around me. Yeah. However, it is um, and. You know, it's and it's not just you know, and it's not just the the people that are involved. Let's say, you know, like for myself when I when I was serving, it's the pressures on the family, and it's the same as um, firearms officers, police officers, ambulance, fire crews, or anything like that. It's not necessarily just the officer, the person that was in the in it. It was their families, their children, and their wives or partners and and, and stuff that I deal with as well. So. If a partner has got post-trauma, severe anxiety after being involved in, in, in a critical incident or yeah. involved in an incident that may be, you know, um, you know, a, a severe RTC, a road traffic collision or, or um, a suicide or anything like that, the, the people come home, you know, officers like me, like what I used to do, we used to go into the brew room, have a, have a shits and giggle. And I mean this, um, I mean this with, with all heart as well. I mean this, we're not all heartless bastards, but we you know you would have a giggle you would vent off within the brew room within the confines of your own peers yeah uh, in that way but then what happens is, is you don't realize that the accumulated stress factors building um that being being subjected to so much pressure stress that's abnormal builds up builds up and you don't feel that or know that as a person yeah. and it's the families that get affected you know there's there's families that i you know that i predominantly i do see a lot of people from the military and the services however it is more their families that need the support because they tend we we tend to think we're roughly tufties and get away with it you know we, yeah we're fine we're, we'll just milk that off it's another job and just go for it but actually the accumulated stress factors actually work their way back home and into our private lives yeah yeah so yeah. you know it's 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 not just um 
it's not just necessarily um, just those people that, that were in this situation itself. It's those people that are around them. And that's that's the key part to it as well as if you are going to get involved and you want to get involved in working with military and emergency services, that's the key part to it. Don't just look at the person in the uniform. Look at the other things that are surrounding it. Look at the things that are satellite in them as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Within the, 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 the sort of wider and broader consequences. Um, oh, yeah. Um, um, can you give us an idea what, what what kind of what kind of approaches do you typically employ now now obviously it would be impossible for you just to exhaust everything that you do all of the time yeah. um, um but but the, the reason i ask i think as well is because i'm interested in in you know is your approach doctored you know the kind of typical way that perhaps you, you were trained or taught or the kind of typical way that you think people in in a regular frontline hypnotherapy consulting room you know, do, do, are things tweaked or doctored with with a view to to working with with this kind of of clientele? Yeah, absolutely. My approach is very much direct. I am very very direct and in people's faces the way that I do things as well. And I don't mean bullying them. I don't mean no. throwing them around them. But you know, get up and throw them around. But on the same token, it's very direct. Um, yeah. And I and and I. I don't tend to use a lot of regress to cause. I don't. It's not that I don't agree. It's not that I don't know it and I don't. I haven't used it. I yeah. don't a lot of it. I find that I can still operate and work in the here and now. Yeah. It's it's the same as I can still remember being run over by a drink driver, but the emotions now completely changed. Yes. I didn't have to go back to that moment. I didn't have to relive that in some regressional. Um, some regressional session to get rid of it. And I, and, and I feel strongly that, that R2C, regression to cause, is an important thing. However, it is not my modality. It's not the way that I work. I'm very much content-free, as in put somebody into trance, cajole them, you know, persuade the, 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 the brain, the subconscious, the monkey brain, whatever we're calling it this week, to, um, to let go, just to let go at this moment in time. And once we've got somebody into that, that beautiful altered state, whether eyes open or closed, it's you know making those those changes either with ambiguity or very direct um, approaches yeah yeah and 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 how do you think um i mean other hypnotherapists that are listening to this that are, that are motivated and and potentially even inspired by by some of the work that you're doing um um what kind of things could they be doing do you think in order to start first of all making themselves available to perhaps military personnel or, 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 or former military personnel, and what kind of what, what, what kind of things ought they be considering or, or training in or examining and so on? Mm. I think if if anyone's interested in working with military emergency services, and don't get me wrong, we are left with the legacy of so much conflict and some of the stuff that our beloved I don't want to get political here that our BBC puppeteering service don't give us you know there's boys and girls out there that are consistently out on the ground doing stuff whether it be um out still in kosovo bosnia in in ireland you know wherever it may be yeah. it's about it's about offering that service because the military have got archaic systems in place very archaic systems and it's another tick box system you know oh yes they came back they said they were feeling a little bit shit so what we've done is is we've ticked a box made sure that we've put something in place a nice teddy bear in place for them to cuddle at night time which is absolutely ludicrous yeah. you know stupid ideas out there that, that the military and emergency services have grabbed hold of but they're all anyway outdated that's another that's another podcast the um <laughs> but the but the thing is is that um promoting it more the military have got an archaic way of looking at hypnotherapy and hypnosis. Um, they've got what uh, they've got specialised orders basically that say you cannot use this. Um, there are people that I deal with that are vetted up to um, to to you know secret top secret level that I've dealt with before, and um, they have come to me knowing that they that their notes that they will not get caught up because. You know, they're not going to get um, – this paperwork's not going to end up in the wrong hands and they're going to lose their job. Uh, for instance, um, some people that have got secret jobs, um, if they're found out to have had hypnotherapy, if they're found out to have had hypnotherapy, they could potentially lose their job. Wow. That's how yeah, I don't know if viewers know that, but actually, if you look up, and I can I can actually find this bit of documentation for you, but it actually says that you're not allowed to have hypnosis for those that are DV 
what's called developed vetting within the United Kingdom and probably I would say in America as well. I'm not too sure. Maybe some of our American counterparts may be able to, to answer this question. But I know within the UK that certain um, people that, that have been vetted to a higher level, it actually stipulates that they're not allowed to have hypnosis or hypnotherapy. So the one thing that I do mention that when before they walk in the door is, is and some people may find this unethical and wrong, however, this is the way I operate, is I do not take any notes of that session or record it or have anything in that room. As far as I'm concerned, they were a person that's just walked in. I clarify ethically that they, you know, they've not got schizophrenia, bipolar, whatever, you know, or severe drugs, anything like that that the GP yeah. may. But yeah. then once they've got that, that off of me, that I'm not going to take any notes. Nobody's going to know what's going on in this room today. It's just me and you. That's the key fundamental part to it as well. Because, you know, even squaddies, uh, they're not allowed. Uh, I'm sure that some of my military friends as well will point out that he even says in military orders that they're not allowed to use hypnosis either. It's about keeping it, saying that you're there, and when they are with you, that everything you've got to do is very, very, very confidential. Because some of these people will lose their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing to it is about that confidentiality. It's about promoting yourself and and being promising that you're not going to dig up old shit, making them relive. A lot of people in the military think that you're military and emergency services think that you are going to sit there, dig up all this old horrendous stuff. Yeah, make them relive it. I make sure that my clients know that I'm there that I'm going to be confidential and plus I'm not going to be rooting around and digging out and making their life a miserable mess while they're with me. Yeah. And that's the key fundamental parts to it, really. The yeah. confidentiality is immense. I get people walking in my door. I know who they work for. I know where they're from, except there are no notes no, no notes making, made or whatever, and I just let them move on. Um, yeah. Sometimes you give me the names. That's that makes, yeah, I mean, that, 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 make, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, um, you know, the, the fact that they're not allowed to use hypnosis and hypnotherapy, do you think that perhaps there's, there's you know, at, at a higher level, there's, a, there's perhaps a, a degree of misunderstanding about what hypnosis and hypnotherapy is? Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I will dig out the bit of paperwork for you, actually. But the, the, it's, I think from the, you know, from the 1952 Act, it's still being utilised. The, the, you know, in the military forums, it's still utilised like that. And I think education, and it's the same as anything in this industry, Adam, it's, you know, it's about educating the masses. It's all well and good, us lot talking about it, but it's about educating those people who don't know, about educating the car that was sitting there with a book not knowing a you know what to believe and well do with it that's what you have to go back to and it's about educating those people who do not know what it is and they do think they're going to be laying a you know square brick that type of stuff yeah yeah absolutely um um you know th 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 this this is fascinating stuff i could speak about it um with you all day um um if people want to go and 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 learn more you know one of the things i've noticed about carl um, um despite some of his earlier comments he's incredibly approachable online um, um answers questions is very open with regards to that if you do have questions and queries um um go um, um send them to him go connect with him um yeah. on on social media um and you know it's it's he, he's he's he does certainly that you don't live in a in a in an ivory tower just yet um, um carl thank you thank you for coming on to the podcast thank you for being so generous with your information um yeah. ladies and gentlemen the one and only carl smith thank you very much adam and it's been a pleasure and if it gives anyone any inspiration i wish you well folks i'm sure it shall I really enjoyed that. Um, um, I thought it was fascinating, and um, it's what I was referring to as being as being surprising to hear about hypnotherapy not being permitted among uh, many military personnel. And I think uh, gives an idea of some of the myths and misconceptions we face as hypnotherapists and educators of our topic out there in the world, even at major institutional levels such as the military. Um, there are links to Carl's social media media pages and websites uh, of, of the, the UK Hypnosis Academy. On this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website, go check him out. Um, so on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And the fact of the week this time round, it, it's actually a myth buster this week because um, um, hypnotic blister formation is certainly the stuff of folklore in some corners of the hypnosis community. Yet creating blisters using hypnosis is unlikely to be anything more than myth. 
Ah, talk about Adam just becoming Buzz Killjoy. Um, there have been many great studies on this, as well as numerous reviews on the subject, really rigorously examining uh, the subject of hypnotic blister formation. And they all tend to demonstrate that there's no evidence to support this application of hypnosis. Sorry, all uh, the folklore tales um, are unfounded. Um, and um, I've given a listing of a number of study details and references over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website for those that wish to check it out. Um, so that's it for this week's 64th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next time out I welcome Dr. Birgit Zotman and we'll be discussing the use of mindfulness within hypnotherapy sessions um, um, and, 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 and harmonising the two. Um, and to repeat, um, um, what I said in previous issues and episodes, any listener uh, of the Hypnosis Weekly podcast can get a 20% discount on all of my advanced online hypnosis trainings, including my cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy certification, my hypnotic coaching course, my advanced hypnotherapy diploma, as well as our diploma level qualifications, and our Hypnotherapist Business Development Academy. Uh, visit my college website, aecollegeofhypnosis.uk, uh, or one word, aecollegeofhypnosis.uk of hypnosis.uk and use the code podcast 20 things will happen for you all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the hypnosis weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com next time out um, i'll be welcoming dr birgit zotman and i just recognized that i've already said that so I shan't mention it again. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions, questions. Do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My sincere thanks again to Carl Smith and my thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. <laughs>